And the number one regret is I wish I'd done the things that were true to me and not what others expected it. It's the things we don't do often that we regret. Purposely Podcast, amplifying the stories of people who are making a positive difference to society and the environment. People inspired by purpose. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Welcome to Purposely with Stephanie Powell, founder and CEO of Crayon. They're an online platform helping parents to thrive financially. A former stockbroker, Stephanie launched Crayon based on her own personal experience as a parent. We delve into her mission and we delve into her founder story. Before we dive into the show, can I just ask, whatever platform you're on, whether it's Apple, whether it's on Spotify, can you please take time to hit follow? It really helps me get the message out there. Enjoy. This episode of Purposely was brought to you by Benevity, the all-in-one software solution that benefits employees, customers, nonprofits, and society. Let's get back to the show. Stephanie Powell, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Yeah, really good to be here and, and connect and talk. You're the founder of Crayon. What's its mission? What's its purpose? So our mission is to reduce financial stress for parents. So I have a background in finance, even though I had studied finance and worked in finance. When I had my first kid four years ago, there were a lot of financial challenges and puzzles I simply wasn't prepared for. And so I figured there had to be other parents in you know, those shoes. And in New Zealand, 70% of mums end up taking less parental leave than they want to, and financial reasons are a big driver of that. A lot of fathers want to take three months of parental leave, but on average they take one to two months, one to two weeks, sorry. And so it's clear that finances are a driving force of some of these decisions. And so I'm really interested in how we can help parents from the get-go make what they want happen. Yeah. And it kind of, I think parenthood in some ways runs people over, doesn't it? And they're not that intentional when it comes to things like financials, would that be fair to say? And like when you go back to your own experience of it, you don't necessarily plan. That's right. You know you need to get the car seat and the pram and you need to have a birth plan. So much of the planning is for before the child arrives. But actually, you know, in New Zealand, you could take up to 12 months of parental leave. Now, that's a long time financially to plan for. And so we do find that it's not top of mind. It might be number five or six on the list of the things you need to do. And, you know, with you know, the physical impact of being pregnant or expecting a child, plus, um, you know, juggling work, et cetera, sometimes you just don't quite get around to it. So Crayon, tell us exactly what you do. Like what, what are your products and, and what do you deliver to create that financial roadmap for, for new parents or parents? So there are three things that we do. The first one is two months ago, we launched the New Zealand Parental Leave Register. So anyone can come onto our website and see over 220 employers' parental leave policies. We know that this is a thing that you, a lot of people want to ask about, but feel really awkward, either in a job interview or even in your current job, depending on how much you want to flag your family planning. So that's the first thing that we do. Um, it covers one in every six Kiwi employees. So it's got pretty good coverage. The second that we do is we run a financial baby prep program. So think of it as antenatal class for your money. If you're having a child, what are the things you want to be thinking through so that you're better prepared for this big change? And the third is we have a lot of free content and tools on our website to help parents with kids at all ages and stages. So whether that's looking at how to invest for your kid or 
you know, estate plannings, you know, again, one of those things that you kind of know you should do, but often don't get quite around to. So we've got, I know, 50 plus articles and and a bunch of free tools that help people through those types of questions. Great. And I really want to dive into your founder story because I know it's been um, a fascinating journey. But before we do that, so in terms of being a parent and then connecting like this turn in your career, like when, when did the sort of light bulb moment happen? Had you been researching companies that had good policies or bad policies? Tell us about your own journey with this. To, to founding Crayon. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's, I guess I would say it's, there's been a lot of left turns along the way and it's certainly not been uh, linear. So, when I was on parental leave four years ago with my older daughter, Louisa, I've been cycling through ideas in my head for quite some time and, you know, I taught them through my husband or a friend and then eventually I, you know, let it go. But I kept coming back to the fact that a lot of people I know who are, say, you know, really great at other parts of their lives often don't feel very financially confident. And so I figured there was something there. This was the start of 2020. And so I made the decision before Christmas of um, 2019 not to return to my employer at the time and to strike it out. So I had a, a vague idea of the problem area. And I, I guess one of the big things for me was, you know, I know the thing I'll regret most is not giving this a go. So I took a leap with a one-year-old and decided to go down that path. And so I ended up working on a different product for over 18 months. Originally, I started looking at investing and I was working on a version of robo-advice. It was even branded differently. And then I welcomed my second child, Madeline, in mid-2021. And I remember being really nervous about stepping away because I was the only employee. And so, you know, if you're not pushing the boulder uphill, it probably rolls downhill at that at the stage that I'm at. And but, you know, obviously wanted to spend some time with her. And it ended up being a blessing in disguise. I was able to step away and say, well, actually, I don't think we're going down the right path. You know, we had actually got our license from the regulator. So we you had, had funding from frames. investors. We did we hadn't raised any funding yet, but you know, we were f- pretty f- down the path, um, you know, worked with lawyers, et cetera, and then actually binned the entire solution, started again. Do you remember what, like the, the day that happened? Like when you? I don't know that there was one moment, but it was probably questioning and questioning, you know, why am I doing this? You know, there's an opportunity cost for me too professionally and, and spending time with my kids. What do I really want to be doing? And I thought, well, why do people invest? It's not usually to get to a certain number. It's because that money does something for them. It opens up an opportunity for them down the track, right? There's a deeper reason why you do things. And when I thought about my own financial journey, having a child was really a moment for me to grow up. You know, I, I was lucky I had good paying jobs from a very young age, so I could be a bit looser with how I managed my finances and I didn't have to be as deliberate, but really going on parental leave, having my own big source of income dry up was a wake-up call for me. And I think, you know, with money and, and personal manage, money management, often we don't deal with it except for certain moments in life, right? You, you have a kid, you get married, you know, something happens health-wise, you know, you split with your partner, et cetera. There are a few moments in life where it becomes top of mind. And so I thought, okay, let's meet people at a time when it is top of mind, when they want to do something, they're super motivated to get on top of it. And you know, my own personal journey was having a child. So that's where I started. And that's deeper sense of kind of purpose or why, like to be an entrepreneur, you needed that kind of to be in existence beyond just making money, beyond creating something that you might better scale and grow, but it needed purpose. Yes, for me it did. And 
I started off in traditional finance and on the trading floor and in investment banking, and I had a great time. But I also, it taught me, you know, really the value of money and what it can open up for you opportunity-wise. I've been lucky to be able to go study in the US. And, you know, that's obviously a very expensive endeavor, not just the income that you forego, but the fees and et cetera that you do. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, money is a means to an end, but also that some of the decisions that you make quite early on can affect what your opportunity set looks like down the road. So the North Star for me is that, you know, let's say in a decade's time, someone's able to say to me, because of Crayon, I was able to do the thing that was important to me, at least financially. And that's the real driving force for Crayon. Yeah. So you ripped up the original business plan. Yes. <laughs> didn't have investors, which is which is probably makes it easy in terms of difficult conversations. It does. But you had to go home and announce this to, uh, to your partner. <laughs> What steps? Because this is right during a global pandemic, right? So, slide deck, you know, pulled together a business plan with the new vision. Like, just walk us through those stages to getting Crayon off the ground. It wasn't as slick as that. (laughs) Um, You know, what I found helpful through my you know three plus year journey now is when I'm not sure, I do user interviews. Like that is, you could spend all day trying to guess what people want and you know making up hypotheses, but actually talking to five people or 10 people will get you the answer pretty quickly. And that's what I did. I started off, you know, doing it again, doing, talking to people about their money, why it was important to them, what they found challenging about managing it, you know, where they wish they had, you know, better solutions, et cetera. And so that helped me really coalesce around the idea of life events. And then, you know, talking to parents, et cetera, helped me refine that even further towards parenthood. So it's it's much messier than just, you know, spinning out a new plan. It's yeah. a, a lot of it's more organic. So you learn a lot, obviously. Yes. <laughs> I imagine it gave you quite a lot of energy towards the idea and the endeavor. So then when things were challenging or going too slowly or whatever it was, you come back to that energy you got from talking to people and sharing the idea with them. Yes. And, you know, finance is a funny space because there are so many solutions out there. There's no shortage of product providers, even you know, New Zealand has so many for you know the population size that we have. And yet I couldn't, I, I had this nagging feeling that despite everything that is already out there, there's still an unmet need. Like there's still something that's not being solved for people at scale. And that's what I keep coming back to is there's, there's some sort of disconnect, at least for a segment of the population. So, you know, what needs to, to fill that gap? And obviously there's a sort of technological revolution happening, uh, you know, certainly happened by that stage, but you were always part of it was using technology and, and some sort of platform to help scale it and get it out there. And, That's yeah. right. You know, for me, a big part of it is impact and how much impact we can have and that, that comes through scale. And so you're, you're right, you know, some of the things Crayon has been able to utilize are no-code apps and, you know, certainly spent lots of time watching YouTube tutorials about how to use some of these tools. I'm not a programmer by background at all, but I do enjoy that type of thinking. So yeah, I think I've been lucky that technology has caught up in that respect. And being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. You know, like some people would find that too difficult. Uh, Others thrive in it. It kind of gives them a lot of energy. And and where were you in terms of becoming an entrepreneur? Like how did you find that stepping way and and leading? Uh, Did you, and how did you, did you draw on energy of others, get mentors? Like, tell us a bit about that journey. I certainly am the nard over it. I, I wouldn't say I'm a born entrepreneur. I wasn't that person with a lemonade stand and, you know, wasn't selling stuff in high school. That's not my trajectory. Uh, you know, I always, I really enjoyed being an employee and having great teams and great bosses, et cetera. So I, have, I wasn't itching to be an entrepreneur, but I was itching to make sure I 
I had a meaningful contribution. I think this is just my way of doing it. And so I spoke to friends who had taken that path. I spoke to people who had taken that path and it didn't work out. You know, it's often it's one thing to listen to the success stories, but it's another to hear about things that don't go to plan. And in fact, one of my very good friends did it and then ended up going back to being an employee. And she's, and I, you know, when you weigh the pros and cons, I thought, well, what's the worst that happens? I give this a go. It doesn't work. I fall flat on my face. So yes, my ego is probably bruised a bit and, you know, take a bit of a knot to the confidence, but I'll have met some really interesting people. I'll have learned some really interesting things that will actually make me valuable for the next role that I do. You know, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work. And I always think about regret and what am I going to regret the most? And there's actually a really interesting book written by an Australian palliative nurse called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she's obviously spent a lot of time talking to people as they head towards the end. And the number one regret is, I wish I'd done the things that were true to me and not what others expected it. It's the things we don't do often that we regret. And Dan Pink wrote an interesting book recently on that too. And, you know, so I thought, well, what is it I'm going to regret the most having not done professionally? And it would be giving this a go. Like one of my all-time favorite quotes is The Man in the Arena by Teddy Roosevelt. It's quite long, so I won't um, (laughs) recite it here, but I love it because it's about, well, actually getting in that arena and whether you win or lose, that's better than having been on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us, so you funded this yourself initially, and then you had to get it ready for sort of friends and family, like those early in the initial, how, how has it been funded? And It's been self-funded, so that's, you know, I have to acknowledge I'm lucky I'm in a position to even do that, right? There are a lot of people who would love to do something, and but financially can't make that work. So that's something my husband and I have agreed on, and he's supportive of me giving it a go. I think he he knows how big of a regret it would be to me not to do, do that. So yeah, really lucky I've been able to do that. But we obviously have to be very scrappy about what we do and resourcing and things like that. Uh-huh. And in terms of like, you know, hiring a first employee, going through those sort of milestones, and you said it hasn't been a uh, straight path. Just give us a feel for like you, did you hire someone pretty quickly? No. No. We had some con, I had a couple of contractors that were great that I knew through my previous jobs to help with very specific skills like wireframing, et cetera. I've been lucky to benefit from friends who frankly just kind of are helping me out or like the idea or both. Um, so I've, I've been lucky to have people who are actually exceptionally skilled at what they do give me the time of the day. So there's definitely been a, a bit of that. And then now I have one person, um, Penny Sheffield, who works with me more side by side. And I remember it was such a game changing moment to bring someone on who's kind of in the trenches with you, so to speak. Like it's one thing to have advisors and mentors who are super helpful, but you know, you're talking to them once a month or something, you know, and they give wonderful strategic advice, but having another doer with you, that was a huge moment for me. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And you sat with us quite a long time, eh? So you were yes. doing building the sort of MVP, minimal viable products. Like you're developing the sort of, and then having to put it out into your world, like possibly like having children yeah. <laughs> giving birth. Tell us like how scary that was because we're kind of are we a year on from from launch? Like so, Crayon the website went public in June twenty twenty two, and at the, at that time it was a collection of blog posts and some tools. You know, we thought we'd just put something out there and we were lucky to partner with the Financial Services Council with their campaign called It Starts With Action, uh, all around helping uh, women in financial literacy. So that was the impetus for just getting something out there. 
And that's something I think I made earlier mistakes on sitting on something for too long. Like often you just need to get it out there, get the feedback. If it falls flat, that's actually good information to have at least. And so we got that out there and then, you know, we were creating content and we ran a pilot of the, what is now the uh, baby prep program. And then we've been thinking about the parental leave register even before the website went public, but it's quite a large undertaking. Yeah. And we armed an art about it and there was just m- more talk around parental leave. We thought we should go, you know, we would, this is a space we care a lot about and, you know, I've been thinking about it for so long, let's pull the trigger. So in November last year, we announced that we were going to build it. We just said, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. This is what we're about. And so we were lucky. We had some really early backers. So David McLean, who's the former CEO of Westpac, among a number of other prominent roles that he has, you know, he sent an email out to 100, 150 of his contacts who are all, you know, chair people and CEOs, execs, et cetera saying, hey, this crayon's doing this. And, you know, having someone like that take a flyer on you can is really game-changing. And, you know, the global women team, we talked to them. And, you know, the Mind the Gap team, we've spoken to them. So actually, we've been lucky to to have folks give us some pointers along the way. And that really, it, you know, like a lot of things, it's a bit of a snowball, right? Like the first few are the hardest to get on board. And then you get better at having those conversations. It gets easier as you're able to say, you know, well, so-and-so are already on, et cetera. So we launched in May this year. I, you know, the team, so Penny, we had an intern, Emma and I, I think we individually read over 100, 150 policies to get that wow. on there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, parental leave policies, you've got a question, let me know. Um, so, and, and we continue to build on it. We have a number of employers join you know, every week, a couple more will come on board. So it's exciting to see movement in this space. I think a lot of employers are doing things, but again, it's not easily discoverable. You know, for parental leave, it's not, A, there's the benefits, you know, what are they? But B, there are often conditions, you know, you need to be at an employer for a certain amount of time to be eligible Sometimes there are clawbacks. So if you, you accept the parental leave, you need to come back and work a certain period of time, et cetera. So it, this is all information that's pretty helpful to know when you're going for a role, but one that's not easily accessible. Yeah, and, okay, and you, you, we've talked before, but also that whole thing around, I hadn't really thought about it too much, but that sort of nervousness around inquiring about the real detail of maternity policy, where actually may end up biasing that person against you to get the role or is a you know cause an issue in, in terms of getting the role and at which point you'd have those discussions you know after you've accepted the role or all of those things and your directory you can go online you can you know two clicks of a mouse whatever and you're you're right there what amazing exactly it's very comprehensive i think to your point it's it's the details that you often don't get until after you sign on the dotted line and putting it out there to the world does that sort of then gain a because so you, you, you're on TV, right? So you had a real you had a launch day, launch week. You had to put yourself out there. But did you? has it been easier to sell since, like easier to influence other organizations and people to come on board, having that public launch? I think it does help. That's something I'm still getting used to doing. It's not probably, I'm an introvert. Wasn't your by, comfort zone. No, yeah, I'm an introvert by nature. But certainly yeah, having that um, type of recognition, you know, there's no doubt that that helps for future conversations. So did you uh, have to really steal yourself that week? Like, did, was it? Did you find it quite traumatic doing all that media? And I found it actually quite fun, but it's certainly very nerve wracking. Penny has a background in in media and comms. She used to be a journalist, so I've been lucky to have her by my side. You know, in terms of coaching and and prep, and you know, like most things, it is about the the prep that goes into it. And I guess for you, 
ultimately it's a you know it's a, a business that you hope to make money from it's you know it's for profit if you like yes, but it it's massively um about doing right by the world or for purpose so the i guess there's always the mission that you can fall back on so it's not necessarily about you all the time it's about what you try and do in the world and that makes those conversations a bit easier right because it's not about you're right it's not about my story or you know, it's about what crayon's doing the service we're trying to provide the problem we're trying to solve etc and you know i could talk about that all day mm. and is it ahead of schedule like are you happy with the progress I think that's always a tricky one to answer with a startup because it's not like you've got a business plan with like very, very clear milestones for every, you know, month, et cetera. It's, it's a little bit more unpredictable than that. I think we're onto something. I really love what I do. I think there's probably still a lot for us to solve in this space, both in terms of the solutions that we deliver to market, but also internally how we work things. So I'm excited. I certainly have a lot of fuel left in the tank. Uh, I'm sure if we spoke in a year from now, market would probably look quite different to what it is today. Like I, you know, when we launched Crayon, I don't know that we would have been able to predict with much certainty where we would end up in a year. And are you able to pay yourself? Like is it at that not, point? Not yet. <laughs> I, I'm at this stage just trying to cover my costs and scale it out, but it's certainly on the horizon. It'd be nice to draw an income again. Yeah. And and changing tack and and kind of taking away back because you've you indicated like you've spent time at Harvard and you know you had a real focused career if you like for those mm-hmm. early years in, in finance and equities. I have you down as like a high achiever, you know, someone who's <laughs> also possibly a bit of a perfectionist. Like, but you were when you were growing up, you really wanted to sort of reach your full potential. You had a sense of reaching the stars. I think so. You know, I was quite an average student the first part of my academic life. Like, I certainly wasn't in the gifted class or, you know, wasn't like that. But then I remember getting to high school and, you know, it's a chance to reinvent yourself in a way. And I worked super hard at my academics and that ended up being a bit of a thing for me. And I found that it's been able to open doors along the way. You know, you get one thing and it, and it does sometimes snowball to something else. I've been lucky in that respect. So I, I guess I at, at the core of it, I don't feel like I'm necessarily anything special but just that if i work super hard at something i trust the process in that respect yeah so this is not new zealand is it either so you've had quite a global um lifestyle as well well i'm, I'm an aussie <laughs> and that's where i grew up and then yeah, spent some time in the state studying uh-huh and in terms of you know finding yourself in new zealand so um how, how did that come about so it's it's not because you bought a ticket and came here to travel is it no, no so i didn't come on the backpack ticket yeah. um i met my husband while he was working in sydney and then not long after that i applied to go to the us to do my masters and he got a job opportunity back here and he wanted to boomerang home so he took the job opportunity i went to the us we ended up doing long distance for about three, four years, either between Australia, New Zealand, and then New Zealand, US. And obviously by the end of that, I was pretty sick of doing long distance. And so because he was already established here, I decided to to move to New Zealand and give it a go. And it's it's a funny one because when I graduated, so I did my MBA at Wharton and my MPA at Harvard. And of my year of 800 or so at Wharton, 200 went to New York. 200 went to San Francisco and like I think I'm no the only one in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are now a couple of folks like a, not not in my year but a smattering but most most of the Kiwis and Aussies to be fair who go up and study don't end up coming home for quite some time and so it was an unusual move very personally driven but the flip side of that is that the type of people with my profile there are quite a lot more of them in the US right you know I'm I'm more 
dime a dozen amongst a certain group. Whereas in New Zealand, I've had, I think, more opportunities in a way like, to flip the narrative rather than saying, oh, it's New Zealand, not New York. It's, well, yes, but I get to, you know, walk into different roles, have interesting conversations. Perhaps, you know, New Zealand is more interconnected because it's smaller. So you get more warm introductions, et cetera. So I think in that respect, I've been quite fortuitous to end up in New Zealand and to test crayon here, you know, to be able to work with the likes of David McLean or meet, you know, beat people like that. I don't know that that would necessarily happen if I were in a much bigger market. Yeah. And one question I ask all of my guests is like, if you go back to childhood or early years and you now focused on purpose and, you know, making a positive difference to society, are there things that happen in your earlier life that kind of, you know, make sense in terms of your current focus? I think so. When you look back, you can I can connect the dots a bit more. So for me, it's very family driven. My mum was a very community orientated person. You know, when they wanted to put a big supermarket opposite the school, she ran a, you know, a petition and was someone who always very good at bringing people together. I remember visiting, she'd visit all people who didn't have any family and I would tag along as a kid. I didn't really understand it at the time but she was very local community focused and she passed away when I was 11. And I remember her funeral, she really designed it as a celebration of life. And it was you know, packed with people whose lives she had touched. And I think about that a lot, like, you know, what, what does contribution mean on what scale to, you know, it, she's a really great example of someone who isn't going to be in the papers, but had a, quite a massive impact in the community that she lived in. So I think about her. I also think about my dad, who's quite a, a very principled person, like really ethics driven. And, you know, both my parents are first generation immigrants. So my mom came out from Malaysia, my dad from Taiwan. And, you know, I think about the risks that like their parents took for them to come out and, you know, how hard they've worked to give me opportunities. And I think I'm so lucky to be in a position to be able to do something like crayon what a shame it would be not to seize that. You know, I feel like a, a quite a big responsibility to make the most of the, I guess you call them gifts or privileges or what have you that I have. And how do I really yeah, seize on that? So you don't feel weighed down by that kind of consciousness of, of your past and your family. And be, you actually feel motivated by it and enlivened by it. Like it, dri- it drives you in a positive way. I do. And I think because my family hasn't been prescriptive about what I do. You know, they haven't said you need to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, some of the things you might, the tropes you might associate with an Asian family. You know, it has, they haven't pushed me in one direction or another. So in that respect, I have, I've had a lot of freedom, you know, from an educational perspective. So I don't feel burdened that, by that because I, yeah, I haven't been forced down one path. And so the, uh, I know from previous conversations that actually your extended family has been an important part of this as well, right? That's right. So I have, you know, a big extended family and particularly, you know, I think about my paternal grandfather. So he he was a really colorful character, lived through, you know, wars and, and you know, I guess as you do back then. And he was in China. And, and the story that really sticks with me is he was a partner at a bank in Shanghai on the Bund, you know, and did very well out of that financially. And then in 1947, the government of the day changed the currency. So that triggered a bank run. So if you've ever seen people, you know, with the wheelbarrows lined up trying to get their money out, yeah, Yeah. that, you know, that's the image that comes to mind. And so, you know, for him, he actually stayed in Shanghai and he paid depositors out with his share of the bank capital and then his life savings. Mm. And then he moved with my grandma and kids to, um, to Taiwan afterwards and started again. And, you know, he moved to Australia and started again from scratch. So I think a lot about not just what I'm building, but 
how I'm building it and, you know, what I want to be able to stand by. Like, you know, when you, what can you live with? Um, and that's a big one for me. Is that taking risks? Taking risks, but also doing right by people and potentially yeah. going yeah, he, above he and beyond. Gave up a stake, right? Yeah, beyond what the legislation might require of you, mm. as an example. And, you, and it didn't make him grumpy? It, your, your sense, like how much of your life did you spend with him? Yeah, so I, I was probably around 21 when he passed. And mm. obviously now that I'm older, I wish I'd asked so many more questions. Yeah. You know, you, when you're young, you think of them as your parents or your grandparents, not someone who's had a whole rich life before they became a grandparent. And so a lot of it now comes from my aunts and uncles and my parents, etc. So yeah, a, you know, by the time he was my grandparent, you know, a lot of that was behind him. But, you know, I've seen him he was very entrepreneurial. He started a, a number of different things along the way, and and sometimes it was forced by circumstance to start again. Yeah, and so you're a parent, as we talked about. I am now. Uh, yeah, you're a parent. So a lot of this is great foundation for the kind of parent you want to want to be, and yeah, how you want to lead from the front, if you like. I hope so. You know, I'm sure like lots of parents, I'm learning as I go and making my own mistakes. But I'm a big believer in you know if you follow what you are really passionate about, then hopefully something great will come of that. And again, acknowledging not everybody's got that opportunity to do that, but I do hope for my girls, you know, I don't have any set path that I want them to go down, but I do want them to work really hard at something that they care about. Mm, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, the the future of Crayon, and have you got any set ideals about how you want it to play out? Like you, you've got sort of milestones that you want to hit, but you haven't got investors to put pressure on you. You can be true to your mission, if you like, your purpose, which is a great position to be at because a lot of entrepreneurs don't have that freedom. But just think focusing on the sort of freedom of Crayon and where you want it to go. So, uh, you know, I certainly want, you know, I think Crayon will be something I work on for decades to come. You know, it's not a quick thing to flip, so to speak. I think where that takes us, you know, given how unpredictable the last three years have been, I'm hesitant to say, you know, this is where I think we'll be in a decade, but I do think we'll still be working on, you know, at the core of it, it's around what are the things that are important to you in your life? What's the financial aspect of that? And how do we make that happen for you? Because with finance, so much of it is what you do today is the thing that opens up something for you in a decade or two decades. You know, a lot of it's about early action. And, you know, in New Zealand, you think, or actually in most places around the world, access to someone who gives you that type of advice and planning and things like that, it's typically reserved for what we would call high net worth individuals, right? It's not usually something that, you know, you and me off the street can get really or have access to. Yeah. So I'm really interested in how do we make that available to everyone so that you can, you know what the smart money moves are to make to do the things that are important to you. Yeah. I'm probably not alone on this, but I I was, a I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, there's this sort of penny drop moment where you realize actually a lot of it is around the kind of culture of money or the understanding the deep understanding of it and some people have it some people don't some people have it passed on to them and other people don't but yeah like really important stuff but i look at the what's happening in new zealand there seems to be quite a lot of innovation happening around you know financial roadmaps and mm -hmm. support and a lot of it's coming from young kiwi women like are you brushing shoulders with other entrepreneurs i'm thinking of a couple but um, there seems to be a lot happening in that space around empowerment, around money, especially for those who who don't, you know, for young women or for women in general. Uh, yes, I am. And I certainly, you know, we, I'm lucky enough, to, you know, again, New Zealand being relatively 
small and connected, being able to have a lot of those types of conversations. And it's exciting. You know, I, I think the more people who are solving things, you know, in this space, the better for everyone. So yeah, we, we try to work very constructively with other folks and we've done a number of collaborations and things like that because we really believe that, you know, the tide lifts all boats. Yeah. And New Zealand, I think this is sometimes a great place to launch a company. So you can, you know, because it, in terms of the scale of it, uh, and, it's, and people give you direct feedback, and that's just one of the things. But in terms of the future, Crane, in terms of cross-border, taking on the globe, taking on the world, like, tell us a bit about your vision around that. Yeah, I certainly would love to take Crayon wider uh, geographically. I think it's probably a matter of sequencing and when and making sure you know we know we could deliver a great experience here, making sure that it's localized for wherever we go next. So yeah, certainly hoping to go to another place. And the barriers to that will be you'll, you'll need to take some finance on, you'll need to... Uh, we'll see. I think it depends how quickly we can grow organically. The The main barrier is making sure that the materials we've developed are suitable for another market. So you know, if we think about Aussie, you know, as an example, you know, making sure that a lot of what we do is around the parental leave legislation at the moment and, you know, understanding your entitlements, et cetera. And so that would obviously need to be localized. It's all doable. It's just work that needs to get done. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, um, you know, when you're not, you know, being an entrepreneur uh, and you're, um, I imagine, spending a lot of time with, uh, you know, with family, but how do you switch off? Like, what do you do to be good to yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, the kids are a big part of that. And I'm certainly trying to learn to be more present, you know, like that when I'm with them, I'm really with them. You know, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not on my phone. Obviously, it's a work in progress for me like it is for most parents, but, you know, just trying to really enjoy that time with them. You know, my youngest started kindy this week, which felt like quite a big milestone um, for us as a family. So that's one, making time to, you know, do a walk or get some fresh air or do something like that is another. Um, I love to cook, so I try and, you know, bake with my kids and do things like that. So, you know, being a parent has helped me prioritize and be almost be ruthless prioritization is probably the way I would describe it. You know, I used to be someone who think I'll just outwork everyone else. I'll just work longer hours and put the hard grind in. And now I I can't do that. And I don't want to necessarily do that anymore. So it's about, okay, well, I've got to carve that time out and be more deliberate. How's your life changed? Like, what's the coolest thing that's happened to you since you've you know become a, non, a founder and an entrepreneur and launched the company? Oh, that's a tough one. Coolest thing. Honestly, it's when we get unsolicited messages from parents and parents-to-be about how this is really game-changing for them. Like That's super cool. Every time I get a message from a parent or, or someone who's you know, thinking, you know, looked at the register and you know, why it's meaningful for them, like that to me means actually we're making a difference. You know, regardless of what else is happening, that register is already making a difference. You know, and we're, we're, we also talk to employers about their policies, a lot of them are already changing it. This was before the register was even launched, but it's exciting to see movement in that space. It's exciting where we can to help people along that journey too, from an employer perspective. So the fact that there is real impact and change, like that's when I get super excited. Yeah, because if any employer was hesitant about being, you know, open about their policies, and if they were lagging behind others, like the, the you know, the the fact even the registry exists could hurry some people up, right? Potentially, but you know, we have employers on there who offer the government standard and are open about it, and we really respect that. You know, we've been clear; we're not here to rank or rate. You know, everyone's listed alphabetically. You know, we've made some deliberate design choices so that it's very fair to every employer, regardless of what their offering is. And at the end of the day, the idea is that anyone can come on and see any employer on there. That's the dream, right? 
And so we want to work constructively with employers to do that. To the extent that employers are already looking at this space as something they want to make a move on, hopefully the register gives them more information that they didn't necessarily previously have. They would have to go through their networks or ask through back channels, but now you've got robust, verified information of which you know off which you can make decisions. Stephanie Powell, massive thank you for joining me on Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.